Hi, and welcome. This is The Women Who Bring to Life What's Next, a podcast series by Capgemini Invent. In this series, we explore how some of the world's most successful women leaders transform their businesses, connect humans and technology, and make a difference in the world. My name is Courtney Pace. I'm the head of strategy and head of private equity for Frog, a Capgemini Invent company. Today, I'm joined by Danielle Applestone, PhD, CEO, and founder of Squirrely. Danielle, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm eager to hear all about Squirrely and how you conceived of this incredible company, but let's start maybe a little bit before that. Can you tell us about some of the pivotal moments in your career that brought you to where you are today and how you came up with this idea? Yeah, well, I'm kind of an odd duck in my area, being a person who's super technical but really loves people stuff. And that was a bit of an iteration for me career-wise. I started off as highly technical, studying lithium-ion batteries, et cetera. But there was a moment where I had an opportunity to give up being the most technical person in the room and becoming the person who was leading a team. And for me, that was a super big identity shift. In fact, it was a big deal for me because I had worked so hard, especially being a woman in these technical spaces, like earn my spot and to give it up and say, actually, I'm going to run this project. I'm going to be in the operations side was a huge deal, but it felt very aligned for me. Then I started a couple companies. I really love the CEO role and a lot of the aspects of it, but I found that the most rewarding part was the interpersonal interactions, which honestly is quite recent where I realized oh, I have a unique ability to navigate this world of highly technical folks and teach them how to human in a weird way. The nuances of getting humans to work well together, I had another big identity shift feeling like, oh, if I go deep in people ops, will people see me as still CEO material if I want to go back to that? Because we have stereotypes about who does what inside companies. So for me, it was a pretty big deal to say, no, actually, I'm an incredibly technical person who realizes that the people stuff is actually much harder than the technical stuff in most cases. Interesting. And were there specific triggers for each of those two moments or was it more of a gradual onset? There were specific moments where... I was presented with opportunities. The first one was when I had graduated with my PhD and a friend of mine said, you should come run this government project for me versus I should go join a cell engineering team at Tesla. And that was a specific moment where it was like an opportunity came by. And I had to make that decision of, wow, this path is going to be five years down a totally different direction. Then with Squirrely, it was really being presented with the thing that the world kept asking me for. I had a moment of deciding when my third company ended abruptly due to the pandemic, this identity crisis of like, what the heck am I going to do with my life now? That was my baby and it's now gone. So I just decided to surrender and try a bunch of stuff. And the signal that was the loudest was the one that said, people, people, do people for all of these hard tech startups that struggle so much with it. So for those who are unfamiliar, tell us a little bit about Squarely and what you did there. 
it has evolved over the past year and a half, much like you would evolve a product when you're trying to find product market fit. I ran the same process for me as an individual. And right now I've found that I go in and I handle people operations, kind of like a fractional chief people officer for hard tech startups that are between 10 and 20 people. It's this zone where they can't really afford a chief people officer and they don't really need the whole bandwidth of a chief people officer, but they definitely need the expertise when they're going from being a technical team where everybody sits around the table to a team that has operations and they need to scale, maybe double. They need to get to the point where they're 50 or 100 people. And they often have zero experience with how to do that. So I come in and I'm like, let's figure out what your culture is. Let's put it into words. Let's build a system for attracting more people that are going to strengthen your culture as you double. By the way, here's all the other stuff you need, like all the financials and all the plans and all of that goes along with being able to scale your team. You said before that sometimes in your role, you think of it as being a translator. Tell us a little bit of what you meant by that. I really love working with engineers. Mostly, I mean, I am one. And I love working with them because most often engineers want to understand why. And translating the squishy bits of emotions and what drives people into the language that engineers are more comfortable with and maps to their world and the lens that they use is the translation piece. It's like when someone says, I'm having this problem on my team and someone keeps saying they need this and this and this and I can't give it to them. And I say, well, what's the need behind the want? And they go, what? I'm like, well, people may say that they want something And if you can't give it to them, maybe you need to go a level deeper. Maybe you need to ask, well, what is the need that's driving you to ask me for this? And we can get creative and find other ways to address that need. I'll say like, oh, have you experienced someone in your team who's giving this kind of behavior? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, well, that's actually because their identity is wrapped up in the product. And they're like, what? I'm like, oh yeah, your identity is also wrapped up in this product. And whether it succeeds or not, you're going to feel like a failure or a winner. And they're like, oh, I totally see how that has affected everything. So there's a lot of of ways I've figured out to get people really to connect with their own selves and connect with other people and their experiences. That's not something that they teach when they're getting a master's degree or something in engineering. Mm -hmm. From your experience, how have you seen this theme or this power of connection help businesses move from these five, 10 person teams to the larger teams that they're trying to grow into? The power of connection inside these early stage startups is really important. So when the team is small, everybody talks to each other all the time. And so the connection comes easily and they don't realize that they need to keep maintaining that as they grow. One of the most significant reasons to focus on it is because You're going to be asked to do a lot of things that you're not familiar with. If you're used to being technical, there's going to be operations stuff. There's going to be talent acquisition. There's going to be a lot of people on your team that are doing things you have no idea how to do. And the root of being able to move quickly in those situations is connection. Without connection to another human being, it's really hard to say, you know, I don't really understand all the details of how you do your job. 
But because I know you, because we have a shared set of values, I can trust you. And whenever conflict happens, if I'm disconnected from someone, it's like sparks and metal grinding across a concrete floor. It's just like not pleasant. But if we are connected and we say, oh, we're in a conflict, let's reconnect. Let's connect around our shared values. Let's connect around our shared goals. Let's connect as human beings. Then you're much more able to mine and metabolize that conflict for all the value that's inside it. So fair to say that in addition to being critical for us as humans to connect authentically, it's also a business imperative from your perspective. No, yeah. Try going fast when everybody is off in their own world and nobody trusts each other. Like, this is not going to happen. I love it. So how do you encourage your CEOs or these team members to connect better with each other? Or how do you get people who are technical out of their brains and into their bodies, so to speak? First, before you connect with others, you have to connect with yourself. That means having space in your days. Because if you can connect with yourself deeply, your decisions are going to come faster and you're going to know what your true wants are. So you're operating from a place that's grounded and centered. That's walks, space in your calendar for things like sitting somewhere or just creating the time that it takes to really stay in touch with yourself, whatever your preferred methodology is. But it's connection with self, connection with others on your team, and then connection with the outside world. There's this other piece that a lot of companies bump up against where they create a product that was wrong. And it was simply because they fell out of connection with who their customer was and what their customer's pain really is. And so if you start by being connected with yourself, then you're resourced to connect with the other people on your team and realize that it's a team of humans with their wants and their lives and their complexities, but we are all here for a common goal and then if that team can connect with the outside world of the customers and all of the stakeholders, they're going to be on a path that is more likely to succeed than if they just stayed inside these four walls and created a product and an experience based upon their wants instead of the true north of what the customer is and what the market is saying. Yep, getting out of the echo chamber. So how has this journey affected your own leadership style? I have gone through quite a bit of a journey. I was more of a lone wolf when it came to the emotional piece. I never really shared with my team the kind of depths of the struggles. I felt like this is my job. This is my burden. You know, load up the pack on my own back. People felt isolated by that. They wanted to help me. And because I didn't allow them to help me, I would feel like, why isn't everybody helping me? And they're like, we want to help you so much. And I'm like, no, I got this. I had this really destructive behavior around that. I remember one of the turning points. It was a moment at the hardware company and robotics company that I ran where we were simply at the end of a phase. We had tried everything and none of it worked. I came into the office and I gathered everybody around and I cried in front of everyone. I said, you all have worked so hard. We have all worked so hard. And this market is just not responding to our product in the way that I thought it would. I'm so sorry. I really felt in my heart, like, first of all, they're going to see me as weak. Second of all, they're going to all abandon ship. 
as soon as they know that things aren't going to happen in the right way. And the exact opposite happened. Everybody rallied around me and they were like, okay, well, what's next? How can we support you? Nobody even looked at me different. In fact, people were more committed in that time period, or I felt they were committed the whole time, but I was able to finally receive, open myself up to their support. And that really changed how I was as a leader in the second company that I ran. It was very much like I'm bringing more myself. Probably the first company I ran, I was like 45% myself at work. Then I was 85% myself at work at the next company. And now, I mean, I'm 95 to 100%. I'm even given a day. And that's probably more related to how much sleep I get than <laughs> hiding parts of myself at work. Incredible story reminder for all of us to to bring our full selves to work. And I think that dynamic that you mentioned as leaders wanting to protect and shield and carry everything can be so natural. And we don't realize sometimes that it's the exact opposite thing that the team wants or needs in the moment. Mm -hmm. That's a really important shift for the CEOs that I work with. They are used to being the sole life bringer into their companies. And when I come in, it's the moment to expand the leadership team to say, I need help and I'm going to hire people around me that are better at their jobs than I ever would be. I'm going to trust them and I'm going to stay connected with them. We're going to go much farther as a larger team where I share my needs and I receive their support. It must be an incredibly exciting time to be in this field, given the tremendous importance of some of the spaces in which you work, like energy storage or carbon capture, for example, and particularly the opportunities that technology is unlocking. What do you see as some of the biggest forces impacting your business today? What's interesting about hard tech and VC-backed startups in this space is that it's fairly resilient to what's going on externally with the economy. The companies that I'm working with are growing. There's a ton of investment. There's more grant money ever for bringing industrial climate tech hardware to market. So that is such a blessing that we have the government support. We have the VC dollars that are still committed to this area. And I think it's because... Everybody knows that electrification of our society is the way everything's going. We need solutions for doing different types of manufacturing than we've ever conceived of. So the money is a big force that's still driving things in spite of however else the economy is doing. I think that there's going to be a more powerful version of a startup that emerges. That's one where... We just simply can't work ourselves to the bone in the same way as we used to. And we need to be leveraging everything about our whole selves, our intuition, our intellect, our body's physical needs to become powerful agents of creation. But we're not doing it at the expense of our mental health and our long-term survival. So I think that climate tech needs to be brought to market, but also life is short and you're not going to be operating well if you don't take your mental health into account. 
these spaces that you work in tend to be fairly male dominant spaces. Has that affected your style or approach at all? There was a journey that I had to go on about owning my power and owning whatever way I wanted to express myself. And you could call it feminine or masculine, but I wanted to be a fully integrated human. So I had a personal journey around how I wanted to show up and realizing that however I show up is valid, is me. The other part is the men that I work with, first of all, they're self-selected to work with a powerful woman, which is great for me. They are also very interested in diversity. And I actually throw it back to them and say, is it diversity? Is it that you want to focus on hiring Black engineers or female engineers? What do you really care about here? And I have shifted my language to speaking of things that are more distance traveled. I had an investor, uh, Kapor Capital, and one of the themes that they used to rely on resonated with me. And they were saying like, look, it is more about the distance traveled than the final destination where you're at. When you look at a team, it doesn't really matter what your demographics are. It's about what have you done to get there? And what are the unique perspectives you bring to the table? Because we want a lot of different lenses, different life experiences, different journeys. And yes, a shorthand for that is if you grew up with a different color of skin, you're going to have a different set of experiences. If you went to a different school, you're going to have a different set of experiences. If you're a woman, you're going to have a different set of experiences. And what we want is people who have traveled a far distance to get to where they are and people who have brought their experience and their lens into their jobs. How do you think about mentoring or sponsoring others who are looking to step into fields such as this? I actively troll LinkedIn. It's like the only social network that I use. And if I'm farting around on my phone, I've got LinkedIn out and I'm looking at talent and I'm looking at talent that has this distance traveled, people with different kinds of backgrounds where you're like, huh. I wonder what this person is up to. I wonder if this person is going to be interested in working in the climate space. I wonder if they just never even thought about taking XYZ role. So I heavily mentor and I probably have touched maybe one or 200 people by doing this in a significant way. And I do reach out to people who are Black or Latin or women, non-binary, et cetera, and queer folks, of course. And I just spend some time because I know that if more people in my position were spending time and cultivating our networks, it will help the industry as a whole. Also, it's kind of selfish because I know all the best people. And it makes me really great at my job when they hire Squirrely to do people operations with them. I bring this Rolodex of people that they've never even heard of. They're all pre-vetted and awesome. And I've been alongside these folks the previous two steps of their career journey. So I know where they're headed and I know what they're going to be good for inside companies. So Yes, mentorship to make the world a better place, but also it's to make me uniquely suited and powerful to do my job. Amazing. So when we look back years from now, what do you hope your legacy will be? Oh, man. I hope when I look back, I can look in 360 directions 
and be greeted by smiling faces of an incredibly diverse group of people that I helped feel seen, helped understand their worth, and they got to a different place in their career because of a conversation that we had, or they made a decision about when to walk away from a job because of a conversation that we had. And those people feel more aligned with their purpose and their space in the world because of moments that we shared. And I just want to be surrounded by that. But maybe it can be like concentric circles, right? They have a section of people that's on a circle outside of that circle where they touched. You know, that's what you use your privilege for. I've gotten to a place in life where I have some power and agency in this world. So I want to share that. And I hope the people I share it with will continue sharing it. Do you have any asks or last thoughts for those who are listening today? How can others help join the cause? People say get uncomfortable a lot. If you aren't a person that regularly talks to people outside your gender, outside your race, just do it. Actually take the time to build the network and do it because of genuine interest, not just feeling like you should. Feeling like, well, everybody told me I needed to focus on diversity, so that's what I'm doing. I think if I had to ask people to do something extra, it would be reach out. Really try to share what you have with other people, especially ones that don't look like you. Danielle, thank you so much for taking the time today and for your powerful message on connection and the distance traveled. This has been amazing. Excellent, thank you so much.